Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Great to have you back, Simon Alicia, here in beautiful Las Vegas. And I'll tell you why shortly, but first I'm going to introduce a special guest and we'll explain the noise behind us. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Matt Wood. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. Good to have you here. So Matt is the GM of Artificial Intelligence, but well above and beyond that, he's a longtime Amazonian. In That's fact, right. uh, we, we're of a similar vintage, I think we I could think say. So, yeah. yes. I think so, yeah. I think we started about the same time. Yeah, so. known each other in many, many mm-hmm. guises and hats right. over the years. <laughs> so we are sitting here in, uh, in a room. It's actually a semi-enclosed glass room in the Zappos co-working centre, right. which is has been set up as part of the uh, events at sales kickoff for AWS this mm-hmm. year. So let's maybe share briefly what, what this event is, and because uh, it's not a customer event, this is an Amazon event, but it might yeah. be interesting to the listeners to hear what we've sure. been talking about and doing this. Yeah, yeah this is our uh, initial kickoff event for the year, and it's an opportunity for the service teams and the global teams, uh, the solution architecture teams, the sales field teams, the marketing teams to all get together and we run keynotes, uh, we run technical sessions, we run account management sessions and it's an opportunity to get together, network, swap stories and uh, share a beer and uh, how we're doing globally. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And the nice thing is it's, it's actually pretty... For a sales kickoff, and I've been to a few in my life, um, good and bad, it's pretty light on with the keynotes, and mm-hmm. it's pretty heavy on with things like voice of the customer, yep. boot camps, hands-on workshops, etc. So that's a bit of fun. I think. Yeah, that was cool. And this morning, I was lucky enough to be a judge as part of the science fair. And so they did a, uh, a AI and machine learning science fair, uh, where solution architects, or pretty much anyone across the company, could pitch new ideas. Uh, they had a couple of weeks to work on them. Yeah. Uh, they selected out of 46 initial ideas, they selected about 20 to, to set up shop here in Las Vegas. And then they've been running you know, in the corridors here all week. And then we selected seven of those. And we, they did a four-minute pitch this morning. And then we selected uh, some, some finalists and some winners. There's everything from you know, autonomous slot racing cars yeah. to a Alexa-enabled mirror, yeah. a smart mirror. And a you know particularly touching story of um, a father who's an essay here who was using uh, a poly uh, mm. for speech uh, synthesis and the IoT button to help his autistic son live a more independent life. That was amazing. It was very very cool. That was amazing. I think that was the most heartfelt and biggest yes. round of applause yes. I've heard all week. Justifiably <laughs> so. I mean, a lot of yeah, uh, unanimous winner. Unanimous <laughs> winner. Easily done. There. So so that explains the cacophony in the background, <laughs> which is people moving around. So hopefully uh, my Sound editing skills will be up to snuff. We'll see how we go. But interestingly enough, um, as part of my editing process, I actually use a, a bit of a machine learning-based processing oh. tool, which we will not talk about at this point. But the reason why I mention it is because you are, of course, the GM of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I wanted you to talk to us a bit about what sort of the plans are, what we're doing, what customers sure. can expect. But you may want to start with a, a simple question, which is, Will you be replaced by a robot anytime soon as GM of artificial intelligence? Sure. Well, you know, you know, if I do my job right, you know, that's quite <laughs> possible. It could, could actually happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, our, our approach is that, you know, there's, there's a couple of challenges when it comes to implementing artificial intelligence. And they almost all revolve around scale. Yeah. Um, so um, for artificial intelligence, sophisticated artificial intelligence systems, you need large amounts of data, huge amounts of data. So there's a scale challenge there. You need large amounts of compute to do the training, typically large numbers of GPUs. Yep. Uh, and you need a, a, a scalable way of delivering and inferring predictions based on the trained model. And so all of these three areas uh, incur problems with scale. 
And so what we found is that on AWS, you know, we have been, you know, almost since day one, addressing these elements of scale. Yeah. So on AWS, we already have customers that have petabytes of data already stored in AWS or who are aggressively moving their data sets up onto AWS using, you know, Snowmobile and Snowball. Uh, and the, the majority of net new data is being generated in and lives on AWS. So yeah. through IoT deployments and things like that. It's a logical first home. That's right. And so uh, the once your data center walls can start to move like they can in the cloud, uh, a lot of the constraints that customers have to live inside, literally inside the box of their data centers, yeah. um, start to melt away as well. Yeah. And we take the same approach, of course, with utility-style access to GPUs for machine learning training. And then we have access to everything from you know, FPGAs uh, to, to recently announced the new C5 instance, uh, which is really custom designed to uh, produce very, very high-scale, very low-latency uh, predictions on machine learning models. Uh, so all of these elements have kind of, uh, have kind of come together. It's a perfect storm across these three areas uh, for AWS to become kind of the center of gravity for artificial intelligence. And what we've seen is that you know, the vast majority of large-scale production sophisticated AI systems that are out there running in the real world yeah. are running today on AWS. Yeah. And customers such as Netflix and Airbnb and Pinterest have been able to use AWS, those elements of scale on AWS, as an engine to drive you know, sophisticated intelligent systems inside their applications and inside you know, entirely new categories of products. And actually at Amazon, where we have thousands of engineers across the company which are you know, uniquely focused on artificial intelligence, they get to use the exact same engine. Uh, so they're able to take the exact same engine with AWS and the output of that is things like you know, Alexa and Amazon Echo and Amazon Go, which is our, our currently in beta. It's a store in Seattle uh, where it has no lines and no checkouts. So you can go in, pick up a sandwich and just walk out and it'll automatically charge your, your Amazon account. It's like the AI version of the Honor system. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I actually go there every day for lunch. It's, oh, awesome. it's fantastic. I, I love it in there. So, uh, do you find yourself walking out of regular stores now without paying? Is it becoming a habit? I do, <laughs> I do become more frustrated like, once you know that it's possible not yeah, to have to yeah. queue. Like, why am I doing it? Like, why do I have to do this? Absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's a fantastic experience, but. The, that's one example of the type of net new experiences which you know, intelligence can provide and you know the sort of net new category defining products like Echo and Alexa yeah. which you know, AWS as a platform can provide. And so our customers as well as, as Amazon more broadly are able to tie into AWS. And um, much like with the original business plan of AWS when we first started the business was that the mission was to take technology which was only within reach of a very small number of very large, very well-funded organizations and take that technology and broadly distribute it, yep. put it in the hands of every developer. Yep. Like we have the exact same mission with artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. We want to take the sort of magical capabilities of artificial intelligence, computer vision systems, deep learning in general, and make those broadly distributed so that every developer, irrespective of their skill level, irrespective of their technical capability, irrespective of their requirement to go off and learn how deep learning works, yeah. uh, can take advantage of these intelligent systems. So let's talk a little bit about that in a little more detail, because it's interesting, you know, you started talking about the, the issue of distributed systems and scalable mm -hmm. systems. And yes, you know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to be able to solve a lot of that at a very fundamental level. Yeah. But there's a, a software component on top of that now mm -hmm. that we start to worry about. I know you and your team put a lot of thought into what is the right engine, how do we do this, what's going to be scalable, mm -hmm. what's, what's future proof. 
Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, so we kind of think of it in three different layers, right? So at the, at the most abstract layer, this is really for application developers who don't either have the time or the inclination or more commonly don't have access to the large data sets yes. to go off and to train the training, for the yeah, model. Yeah. Um, then we have the services which are uh, you know, AI as, as a service. Right? Yeah. They're delivered at the end of an API as a black box where you don't need to know about the implementation. Uh, they're things like uh, recognition for image analysis, uh, poly for text-to-speech, uh, which is a lifelike text-to-speech service, mm-hmm. same service we use to generate the voice of Alexa, and uh, Amazon Lex. And Lex is what's inside Alexa, and yeah. it's a, a natural language understanding and automated speech recognition service for building conversational interfaces or chatbots. And so in all of those situations, they are built for developers to just, you know, just Throw in an image and you get the analysis. Yeah. You, can, in you can consume it in a very API. Exactly. It's, it's, it's I a, give, I get. I yeah, it's, it's stateless REST API stuff. Yeah. Very, very straightforward. Uh, the next layer down is more for developers who uh, have access to data and who want to use that data to create custom markets. Yeah. And so we have a collection of AI platforms like Amazon Machine Learning, which provides access to linear models and things like um, Elastic MapReduce, which has uh, Spark support and Spark machine learning support, which is becoming very popular. And even you know, real-time streaming services like you know, Kinesis Analytics, yeah. which yeah. customers are able to use for time-based recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so we have these platforms where you want to some control of the algorithm, but you have a lot of data to pass through it uh, to, to do the work. And the next layer beneath that uh, is what we call the engines. And this is where we believe that in, you know, in the fullness of time, uh, this is where the majority of the innovation and the majority of the sophisticated intelligent systems are going to start. Yeah. Um, and these are things like deep learning engines like Apache MXNet, TensorFlow, uh, Cafe, Fieno, Torch from Facebook. And these allow any developer to kind of implement um, their own uh, new algorithms, take cutting-edge algorithms, um, train them, uh, tune them, uh, and basically build out you know, arbitrarily sophisticated intelligence systems, whether they are for um, uh, perception or reasoning, Q&A systems, computer vision, uh, audio and voice, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. you know, these, are the, these are the engines that are going to drive a lot of that. And so um, we've made a, a ton of investment in, in one in particular, uh, which is Apache MXNet. Yeah. Uh, this is a very easy to use, very simple programming model, uh, which scales incredibly well for training. And so uh, MXNet will scale uh, almost linearly across hundreds of GPUs. And what that means is you can train more sophisticated models in the same time, or you can retrain models in less time, which means you'll do it more frequently, yeah. uh, or you can just iterate more quickly on the models that you do have. And so that training time, which you know can be in the order of weeks, mm. anything mm. you can do to reduce that by 5, 10, even 50% yeah. is like material time savings and cost savings associated with that. So we really like MXNet uh, for that reason. It also generates you know, incredibly efficient, portable models. Um, so you know, very, very small trained models, which you can take and run for um, uh, prediction, both in the cloud, yep. or more commonly, actually take them and build them into connected devices at the edge. Yeah, yeah. And that's, actually, that's a really important point, and I think something interesting for our listeners is there's a huge distinction in AI between the creation and training of models mm-hmm. and the execution of models. Right. And and the training component needs 
different infrastructure, typically uses even different you know, code processes and approaches yep. to what the actual end result model is, which may operate on a completely different platform in a completely different way. It's an interesting distinction that we're not used to dealing with. In, in it's very true. And actually, there's, there's a very different set of challenges in both. Yeah. So in training, uh, you want to be able to scale to you know, very, very large numbers of GPUs to process your, your training in less time, just because the volumes of the data are so large. Uh, but with inference, where you want to actually make the predictions, um, the, you're typically taking a collection of models um, that are trained against different signals in your data and using them as an ensemble. Yeah. And so putting those into production in a cost-effective way can actually be very challenging, yeah. let alone addressing yeah. the scale issues. Yeah. And if you imagine the sort of scale required for the mobile back end, for like the, the Amazon mobile app yeah. to deliver recommendations <laughs> or the Amazon retail page to deliver... Yeah, people who bought this also bought star recommendations. There's a material amount of investment that goes into figuring out how to deliver that. And we're able to take the best learnings from inside Amazon, uh, where we figured this out, and take the exact same engines, whether it's Amazon Machine Learning or Lex or Poly, and then deliver those to customers. And so uh, it's it's an interesting change from training to inference. Yeah, and yeah. if you... Uh, some listeners may remember the, the Netflix machine learning challenge, which ran probably, I don't know, it's going to make me feel old, 15 years ago, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And the goal there was a, uh, there was a million dollar bounty uh, available to anybody that could improve the uh, star rating predictions yeah. by just 5%. Uh, it turned out to be an ex- extraordinarily difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. And what won was uh, an ensemble method. Uh, multiple different machine learning models acting in concert yeah. to produce an increase in, in the predictive power. Uh, built out by a large team of experts. Now, unfortunately, it was too complex and too expensive to ever put into production. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. worth. Ta- although it worked, yeah. it wasn't worth taking and putting it into production. The cost was, of doing it was too high. Exactly. So you didn't get the return that you wanted. Yeah. So it's all these sorts of challenges which we're able to go off and you know, it's the sort of thorny, difficult challenges that we love at AWS. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're able to take on on behalf of our customers and solve. And so Amazon Machine Learning has both batch processing and a real-time low-latency prediction API. Yeah. So you, you, all of that is just taken care of. Country and Western. <laughs> yes, <laughs> love it. It is interesting that there, there needs to be a lot of choice because even if I look at um, uh, MXNet, for example, you know the, the coding model supports varying approaches and even varying languages mm-hmm. suitable to both probably your own aptitude but also mm-hmm. the, the problem domain you're dealing with. Yep. So it, it, it's such a challenging domain because it is not prescriptive. Yes. In fact, it, it promotes and encourages experimentation, which I'm sure with your science background is why you love it so much. Yes. Um, but it challenges our normal thinking. And one of the one of the, the challenges I've seen customers have over the last really two years as I've been talking to them about some mm. of their initiatives in this is actually getting, not just getting the models, but getting them into the application or getting them into the decision pathway mm. of their end user mm-hmm. to help them make a better decision or have a better experience. Yeah. What are you seeing as trends in that space? Where do you think that's going to go? Yeah, this is a good question. So I think there's two parts to this. Um, one is that... Um, Current development methods, if you just take it from a developer standpoint, um, we developers today have a really good intuition for program flow and classes and modularization and yeah. interfaces. Yeah. Right? So there's, there's uh, a, those muscles really well trained in developers today. Um, the rules that govern the flow and execution of a program and the flow of a user through an application are kind of declarative and they're laid out and codified inside the inside the code base. Yeah. And developers have a really good intuition for looking at that and understanding how these pieces fit together. And what we're seeing is that um, as more mainstream developers pick up and use machine learning, 
they're having to kind of retrain themselves and basically retrain themselves to identify that same intuition with the sort of networks and models that you have with machine learning, yeah. which are not declarative and they're not always, you know, if-then rules. Yeah. There are they're more complex graphs and networks, which you can, when you start to look at them long enough, get exactly the same intuition against uh, as you do as a, a workflow or a, a just a, a logic flow inside a piece of code. And so building that intuition with developers is like a really big initial step. And we're doing a lot of work with organizations in every industry and every size to go do that. Yeah. And then once you build that intuition, it's very, very natural for those developers to find you know, an almost limitless number of touch points for machine learning inside their application. Where it actually fits. Where it actually fits, exactly. And they're able to say, well, we've got this really challenging problem that we want to go solve on behalf of our customers. It's very, very difficult to do with our traditional if-then kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. But now we've got this intuition for the network models and, and for, for the intelligence systems. Yeah. We can start applying that in the same way as we would just traditional vanilla code. And so companies that do that really well on AWS today are folks like Stitch Fix, who have really robust recommender systems for, for, uh, for apparel. Uh, and uh, also Pinterest, mm. who roll out things like visual search. So you can, if you look in the app today, you can draw a little box around items inside pins. Yes. And it'll go off and find other pins with that exact same item in. And it'll throw up ads for that item as well. So if you want to buy it, it yeah. if you want to buy it, right? So it's a whole new area of business for Pinterest that they can monetize this straight away directly in the app by yeah. just selling ads against what people are searching for. And they also have a, a, a new uh, kind of uh, live video streaming service where you can take out your phone, point it around, uh, you can see someone who's wearing some awesome shoes. Um, you could see some awesome trainers or sneakers. You point the phone at the, the sneakers, and it will start to detect, well, this is a person who's wearing sneakers, yeah. these are sneakers. You can do that live in real time just by looking wow. around the room. So that's, that's in the app today. So does that mean we're not going to have to talk to people and say, hey, where'd you buy those <laughs> sneakers? Buy the sneakers? <laughs> hey, you can still do that soon. But, uh, you know, <laughs> this, is a, this is an alternative approach. It, but you're right. It is amazing. Once you put things in the hands of people, what they come up with, I know that for a lot of organizations, um, accessibility of services for people has been huge. So, you know, things like Alexa, um, Lex and, mm -hmm. and Polly have had huge impact on people's just thinking in terms of, wow, we can, we can make our service more easily available to people who maybe can't consume it in the traditional way. Right. It's a really social good story as well in terms of you know, what AI can bring to humanity. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And we saw that this morning with the, with the, the autistic story yes, you mentioned yeah. at the top of the show. Yeah. And uh, we see it also through public safety. We yeah. see it through you know, healthcare. We see it through hospitality. So there's, there's a huge amount of, uh, of social good that can come out of this. And the move from kind of traditional point-click, swipey yep. interfaces, which if you think about it, are incredibly limiting. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be looking at the screen. You have to be able to point and click. You have yeah. to understand what the interface is. Yeah. Like you have to be able to pay, have to pay attention to what's actually going on with both hands in most cases. Mm. You know, there's a lot of situations and a lot of people who, who can't do that for whatever no. reason. No. And so to have a, a conversational voice interface, which is, you know, uh, way more discoverable, are way more interactive, way more efficient to, in, to, to work with, way more accessible. You can use it anywhere from being in the car to being in your hospital bed. Yeah. Um, you know, this, is, this is incredibly empowering for you know, large numbers of people. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a very exciting area. It's still, you know, we say at Amazon, you might have heard it on this <laughs> podcast, you know, it's still day one for the yeah. internet. Yeah. And with in, intelligent systems, we haven't even woken up and had our first cup of coffee yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's very early days. And uh, I saw a great quote on Twitter 
um, the other day, which is, you know, when you work in artificial intelligence, not only do you get to work in artificial intelligence, but you get to work in healthcare and hospitality yeah. and financial services and transport, you know, all at the same time. It's, so it's, a, it's a, a, a remarkably broad opportunity and a remarkably exciting space to be in. And your comments about you know, the interaction style is really interesting because if you think about science fiction being a pretty good uh, predictor of the future, mm-hmm. as we've seen, you know, even from a, something as simple as Star Trek having opening doors, that That's right. we take them for granted today. Yeah. But when that was thought of, that actually wasn't the norm. That's right. Or think about um, in 2001, mm-hmm. they have uh, screens in the back of the chairs yeah. on the spacecraft that are moving them around. Yes. You see those in, in yes. flights today. Right? Exactly. Well, on a similar vein, I encourage any of you who own an Alexa to ask her to open the pod bay doors as well. <laughs> But but the interaction style is interesting because you know we, we looked at the move to you know swipe and click and, and graphical interfaces as a, as a quantum leap from mm-hmm. from the command line, which I know you and I both still love sure. dearly and will hold on forever. <laughs> but the, the the interaction in a more natural sense as a vocal thing is is far more immersive and affects the way you interact day-to-day far more importantly in different contexts. So, for example, in my last trip to Vegas for reInvent, I picked up an Echo Dot Mm -hmm. and that has now found a place in our home. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure how that was going to integrate because we're actually not a very high-tech home Mm -hmm. at home. Um, but the kids have taken to it wonderfully, and it's almost like having a pet. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's amazing the number of things it gets involved in in terms of, you know, alarms and timers and reminders yep. and facts and what's the temperature going to be, etc. Yeah, you become, uh, you become very quickly integrated with, mm. and you become very quickly comfortable with the interaction yeah. and almost reliant on it. Yeah, I, I yeah. remember... Uh, I have echoes to my home. Actually, my, yeah, I have a lot of them. And uh, I got a new dot and um, I was taking out this packaging and my six-year-old son said, oh, can I hold her? Uh-huh. Not can I hold yeah, it? Can yeah, I hold yeah, her? Like, yeah. He was already used to the idea of Alexa as kind of a, a helpful personal, the person that was there to kind of guide him through things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I travel now, I'll find myself instinctively just <laughs> shouting out random commands. So you're just standing there in your hotel room talking to yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Somebody turn on the light. Uh, but yeah, asking about the weather and yeah. like getting my news update and daily flash briefings. Like yeah. they're now a, a very key, uh, uh, well integrated into my life. And I know that's the case for you know uh, a lot of uh, Echo and Alexa customers out there. Mm-hmm. So, what, what's the future? I mean. You know, you're lucky to be in this role within AWS at such a transformative time. Mm-hmm. What should our listeners be on the lookout for? Yeah, I think uh, uh, there's a couple of things. So first thing is just to be on look, the lookout for opportunities to learn yeah. about building that intuition, building that, that, that mental muscle around building out these intelligent systems. Uh, I saw an interview with Mark Cuban recently, and he was, uh, he was saying that, you know, if you're not investing in this today, in three years, you're going to be the dinosaur yeah. that, you've, that you've always feared, yeah. right? So, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of hype around this space at the moment, but I think it's one area where we're already seeing you know, very, very strong indicators uh, that this is going to be the next transformative technology uh, in computer science and, you know, kind of throughout the world. And there's going to be limits to how we apply it. Yeah. Um, we haven't found what those limits are yet. There will be some, but we just haven't found it yet. And then, you know, we'll walk uh, with our customers down this path of, figuring out what the key components are of kind of generalized intelligence. Yes. So we're, you know, understanding learning in a very deep way, understanding perception in a really deep way, understanding uh, reasoning in a really deep way, understanding problem solving. You know, if you can, if you can have an intelligent system which can look inside a scene, 
uh, whether that's an audio scene or a visual scene, understand the objects uh, within that scene and how they relate to each other, and then infer a problem for those objects, and then reason what that problem is and how to go solve it, then you're well on your way to having you know, highly applicable um, uh, uh, intelligent systems, yeah. which can beat out human systems. Yeah. Yeah. And we already see this with things like uh, skin cancer detection. Mm. Where there's there's methods of, you know, if you, if you the way of diagnosing skin, skin cancer initially is just to eyeball it. Yeah, yeah. And there are, there are AI systems out there today which do a, as good or better job than uh, well-trained physicians. So, you know, it's a, it's a very exciting world and we expect there to be a you know, very, very uh, high degree of um, support. Uh, so it's not about replacing physicians. It's not about uh, um, taking autonomy away from them. It's about providing highly specialized, domain-specific help yeah. which means that uh, the quality of care improves. Exactly. Do a better job. It's like, it's yeah. like having that second opinion. You know, yes. It's like, like we exactly. talk about having multiple yeah. models. Second opinion. I'd, I'd, Love it. As much as I you know, like my physician to look at my skin to check for, for skin cancer, I wouldn't say no to an AI system having a, a, a go opinion. at it as well. Absolutely, that yeah. wouldn't hurt. Yeah. But you're right. I think you know, the, this learning opportunity is huge. And because of the, the democratization of this through, through AWS... Yeah. You know, our listeners can, can literally do it from their home. And uh, when you were talking, I was thinking about how I remember back in 2009 when I started playing with AWS and I was sitting at home on my laptop, essentially accessing more compute power than I remember I was working. Yes. And I sort of, you know, when you get hit by that bolt of lightning going, yeah. my industry has just completely changed. Yeah. Not everyone knows about it yet. Yeah. However, this is happening. Yeah. This, this has all the hallmarks of that same shift in, yes. in the way we do things yeah absolutely I remember I remember the same lightning bolt moment <laughs> of when using the Java class path there wasn't even a CLI or, <laughs> yeah. or, any, or anything back then of launching an EC2 instance logging in and yeah. I was like oh it's I have root on a box That's, I get it now this has made perfect sense uh, and so having that same shift of oh I have an image and I can see inside it yeah. or I have speech that I can understand yeah and like understanding how all those bits and pieces and all those building blocks are going to come together yeah. is incredibly exciting. Oh, it's great. It's great. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been great to have you on. We'll have to have you back very soon. You're very welcome. Thanks, all. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, we do love to get your feedback. AWSpodcast at Amazon.com. Tell your friends if uh, they don't know the podcast is around because uh, certainly with their, some of the insights Matt gave us, I'm sure they'd love to listen. And as always, keep on building.